You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has recently introduced the 110 Ultralight. Savage has teamed up with Proof Research once again to craft a barrel specific for a purpose-driven firearm. At around 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory-blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel and melanite skeletonized receiver minimize weight for success on any mountain hunt. Now, I could go on and on about all the good things about this firearm, but what you need to do is go to savagearms.com, check out the 110 Ultralight. They have it available for the 308 Win Mag, the 270 Win Mag, the 28 Nosler, the 28 Ackley Improved, the 30 6 Springfield, and so on and so on and so on. They got it for just about uh, any cartridge. So, what you need to do is go to savagearms.com. Check this rifle out. It's a badass rifle. SavageArms.com. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of time plus 1% of money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and money back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 15. Uh, So I got to say, if it sounds kind of echoey or the audio for the intro here is not um, maybe what what you're used to hearing, uh, that is because I am actually recording this intro um, in the front seat of a rental car as I sit in Bozeman, Montana. Um, our family's taking a <clears throat> kind of a, a Western road trip here, uh, as I've mentioned in a few other episodes. Uh, and today it was 50 degrees, 40 degrees, and raining all day. So to try to find some time um, was not very easy. And to get, uh, you know, a little bit of time to, to do the editing and everything on this just uh, wasn't in the cards. So uh, we got the kids to sleep, and here I am, um, late in the late in the night, uh, doing some recording, uh, sitting in a rental car. So uh, I apologize in advance if uh, the audio for the first part of this uh, is not um, is not great. Uh, but today on the podcast, I am joined by Paul Peterson of First Light. Uh, Paul is the social media manager 
uh, with First Light. And uh, Paul and I, we uh, we have a pretty good conversation about really all things uh, First Light and conservation. Uh, and really, uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on kind of the, the public land movement uh, that there has been over the last, you know, five to ten years uh, as it pertains to, to hunting. Um, you know, we, we go into, you know, a lot about first light and you know why conservation uh is so important to to them as a company and you know for any of you that have you know been following along with with first light you see you know a lot of their social media posts and and things like that and even you know down to their website where you can um you know round up your purchase and and donate to um you know a, a handful of uh, various conservation organizations that they have um, kind of predetermined for you. So we, we go over a lot of that stuff, and uh, it's really cool to hear about, uh, you know, the culture at First Light and, you know, how it is that all of their employees are so dedicated uh, to the outdoors and to conservation. And, uh, you know, Paul does a great job of really kind of putting that into, uh, you know, painting a, a good picture for that. So, um, again, this week's episode, uh, Paul Peterson of First Light, and I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Joining me today on the phone from 2% Certified Business First Light, I have Paul Peterson. Paul, how's everything going today, man? Going great, man. Thanks for having me on, Marcus. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking some time. I know it's kind of the middle of your work day there. I know before we started recording, you were telling me that you're just getting back into Idaho there and you were spending some time here in the Midwest, so you're kind of doing a self-quarantine before you get back into uh, into the office or anything like that. And I know this is, especially for, for a company like First Light, this is a uh, pretty busy time of year. People are trying to get last-minute things or, you know, guys are getting out into the woods, um, you know, the mountains, I, I should say, out there. So I, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time. Oh, yeah. No, happy to do it. Happy to do it. So before we kind of jump into things here, Paul, tell me what it is that you do uh, at First Light. Yep. So uh, just recently in the last couple of months, uh, I took over our social media efforts. So my title is social media manager. Prior to that, I worked in customer service for close to two and a half years. Um, I help out on the marketing team now. That's my my main role. And what you see on Instagram and Facebook, that's I'm the guy it comes from. It's a team effort, but at the end of the day, I'm the guy that pushes go. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. yeah, you guys have a really great social media page, man. So kudos to you. You're doing a great job. Yay. Thanks. Yeah. It takes, like I said, total team effort. The team makes me look good most of the time. <laughs> That's usually how a team teams work, right? Like one person kind of gets the credit for it, but everyone working towards the same common goal is usually what gets you there. Yeah. No, we've got an awesome crew. It, it makes it easy. Yeah. So, before we gonna get too much into first light here, Paul, I want to understand a little bit. Like, so how were you, I guess, introduced to to hunting and fishing and the outdoors? I just grew up with it. It's really all I've ever known. My dad's a a lifelong hunter and a fisherman and a, a general outdoorsman, big cross country skier. Uh, I was drive bikes, just always doing doing something outside and. I grew up just chasing dad around the woods and I can't remember the first time I 
I went hunting or fishing or skiing. It, it was just always something I was doing. So I was pretty fortunate that way. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's the same for a lot of us Midwestern guys, right? Is you just, it was kind of, a, it was a family thing, a family tradition and, you know, chasing, or like you said, following your dad around in the woods, you know, wanting to, to hang out with him, wanting to do the stuff that he was doing or your grandpa or your uncle or whatever it was. And it's funny how something like that kind of materializes over time and turns into, you know, for a lot of us, an obsession, you know, hundred percent. I mean, he got me started in, in one direction and I've pursued hunting maybe to a level that at times was questionable to him. <laughs> Not always aligned with a career path, if you will. Uh, but it's what I was passionate about. And he and my family definitely instilled that early on. Yeah. So he's got no one to blame but himself then. <laughs> yeah. Very good point. yeah. So at what point in your life did conservation, like when was there kind of like um, the aha moment or the switch went off to where you were just, you know, you know, a very avid outdoorsman, whether it was hunting or fishing to wanting to really get involved in con um, conservation? Because I know not only is first light, obviously, um, uh, one of the very first two um, percent certified companies, uh, but you're also a committee member for two percent, right? Correct. Yep. So, at, at what point was it that you know giving back your time and stuff like that became a you know something that was very important to you? I think it. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to kind of think about it because I don't. I don't know that there was a singular aha moment. I think mm -hmm. it was sort of progression. And a result of getting more and more involved in in hunting and fishing in a in a professional sense, perhaps. I, I can remember, you know, growing up in Wisconsin. I went to college in Wisconsin. Loved to hunt whitetails. Uh, the CWD conversation became really prominent as I was coming of age. Right. I was always interested in in having a conversation with anybody who would talk. Just trying to get a better understanding of what was going on. I mean, we saw firsthand at, uh, the properties I hunted and subsequently a farm that my, my family now owns. We, we saw impacts because of rules and, you know, tag allocations that were put forth as a result. So I think maybe that laid a foundation and an interest in how the whole system really works. Um, it became more like hunting and conservation became more about um became more than just going out in the woods right, right. Like i wanted to be more involved in the things behind the scenes that impacted people's experience of field and that simply progressed uh, as i got more more involved in the outdoors i moved west for a summer when i was 23 i was working on a, on a ranch in colorado and that was really the first extended period of time where i was exposed to public land right, where I was on public land all the time. And I think that was really when the public lands movement was starting to gain a lot of traction mm -hmm. and definitely a product of all the, the media conversations and, and media coverage that came of it. And I've just tried to push the boundaries from there. Yeah. I mean, that's, you make a really good point there that being in the Western states, especially, and for guys like us who are, you know, originated in the Midwest, that 
you know, there's there's a lot of public land hunting that goes on here in the Midwest, but, you know, you just kind of alluded to, you know, your family has property, so you were probably, you know, maybe spent some time on public land, but probably spent maybe more on, you know, on private land, and I'm, I'm the same way. Um, but I've seen, you know, when I go out West, whether, you know, primarily for, for fishing at this point, I mean, it's all, these are all public, you know, public rivers and streams that, that I'm fishing out there. And the movement that you, that you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see kind of where things have come and where the narrative just around, you know, hunting and Western hunting specifically has, has gone over the last, you know, three to five years with this big, um, movement in public lands. Yep. Couldn't agree more, and that's a good point you make. Kind of the difference between perhaps the the Midwest and and the Western states. I mean, I hunted on public land growing up. It was kind of like an added bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, we I was fortunate to be able to hunt some private farms. I had a great setup, but maybe things weren't going right, or we wanted to mix it up during the gun deer season. We'd go drive. We'd do a deer drive on a piece yep. of public. It was just kind of this extra thing it wasn't really viewed as that important quite frankly by most of the guys yeah yeah no you you make a good point where i think it's in the back of everyone's mind like it's it 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 is important and, and people see the value in it but if you're not you know actively spending your time on public land like it kind of tends to be a bit of an afterthought and it's really good to see, especially companies like First Light that are taking such a stance to, you know, to protect public lands and making sure that there's access or, you know, opening new pieces of public land, you know, through access projects and things like that. So it's, it's really cool to see, you know, companies, especially as, as big as First Light and as well known uh, as First Light is in the hunting industry, make that, you know, really a priority um, as, as a business. Yeah. And that plays right into that same idea of how maybe people in the West view it a little little differently compared to other parts of the country. I mean, we're surra- literally surrounded by public land here in Ketchum, Idaho, where we're headquartered. I mean, I went out for a run just before this and I'm on public land, public trail, um, 63% of the state's public land. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge percentage, especially for, yeah. you know, for a state the size of Idaho. Yeah, it's gigantic. I mean, Literally everything I enjoy doing, skiing, mountain biking, hunting, fishing, you name it, is 99% of it is on public land here. Yeah, and I feel like the the whole conversation in the fight for public lands has, has really started there in the West. But as big game hunting, especially like elk and mule deer, has seemingly, at least to me, grown in popularity over the last you know decade, let's say, that that's... Um, that conversation and that topic of public lands is starting to creep further and further to the east, to, you know, to the Midwest, to the Eastern States, to all these guys, excuse me, to all these guys who want to come out and, you know, enjoy that public land and chase those, you know, big game animals that we don't have the opportunity here in the Midwest. Oh yeah. And I think that's one of the coolest things that's happening is like we're saying we grew up, the conversation wasn't necessarily taking place, but now that it is, it's spreading. Yeah. And that's a great thing in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree more with you. Yeah. So unless people have been kind of living under a rock for, you know, the last close to 10 years, they're, they're, they're familiar with First Light. Um, you know, especially whether you're, you know, a Midwest guy or a Western guy, you know, First Light um, has kind of something for everyone. 
But for those that might not be familiar with First Light or have only heard the name, tell us you know, what it is that First Light has to offer as a company. Yeah, so we were founded in 07. Uh, Scott Robinson, Kenton Cruth, great guys. Uh, they really laid the foundation for everything. Ryan Callahan was First Light's first employee. I'm sure many folks uh, may or may not know that, I guess, but he really instilled a, a conservation ethos within the fabric of the company moving forward. And things have changed a lot since those those three really got the ship sailing in the right direction. I think now we're at around 25 folks. Um, our bread and butter is Merino wool. That's what we were founded on. We were the first company to print camouflage on Merino wool. And we still take a lot of pride in offering the best Merino on the market. So that's what we're most well known for. It's turned into a full outerwear line from active insulation to soft shells to rain gear, accessories, you name it. And we're not slowing down. We're excited to see where it'll go. But it's a performance hunting apparel line. It's great for anything you're doing that involves activity in the outdoors. And we do it all in the name of promoting hunting access to the outdoors, conservation, you know, making sure we're doing right on that end of things is as important to us as promoting the sale of a particular product. It's a really, really cool culture that, that we've been able to, to develop and, and continue here. Yeah, the, the culture is, is definitely something that um, I want to touch on here. Uh, in a few minutes, uh, I was telling, we were talking about it before we started recording that I was introduced to, to First Light maybe four or five years ago uh, by a coworker at a previous job, and he was telling me about merino wool. And at the time, you know, I was the guy who was, you know, wearing eight layers in the tree stand, you know, mid to late season to try to stay warm. And it was just so ineffective and, you know, not efficient. I mean, you're out there, you can barely draw your bow back because you have so many layers on, right? And he introduced me to First Light and, you know, merino wool, and I was like, you know, what is this? You know, I, I never looked into it and I, I haven't looked back. And, you know, since I, I ordered my first piece, which I think was, I think it was like the Chama hoodie, I think was, yeah. was the first piece that, that I ordered. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's either in my pack or it's on me every time I'm in the woods. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about Merino wool and, and first like, you know, gear in general. Yeah. Glad to hear it, man. I mean, that's, that's what we hear resoundingly and that's a really cool thing about merino and our product line it's once you use it and you have that aha moment it's it's hard to argue against it it's game changing and it's a fun part of the business right it's like helping guys enjoy their time guys gals everybody have a, a better time in the woods because they're not worrying about their gear it's super rewarding to be a part of that process yeah and and it just like you just said it, it makes your experience in the woods that much you know, that much better. And if, you know, if you're, you know, warmer or you're more comfortable, you can, you know, stay, you know, stay in the mountains longer. You can, you know, sit more still or sit quieter in a tree stand, you know, depending on, you know, what animal you're chasing. So yeah, there's the benefits to Merino wool. I mean, we mentioned it again, before we started recording here that, you know, we could get on a slippery slope here and, and head down a gear conversation real quick. So I was going to try and, you know, keep it, uh, keep it between the white lines here. So. All good. All good. <laughs> yeah. 
So what was it about First Light that kind of drew you in and, and made you want to be a part of that culture? Yeah, I, uh, well, backstory, I was working seasonally as a, as a fly fishing guide and had just gotten into guiding elk and deer hunts and, um, and to make ends meet, I was swinging a hammer, working carpentry back home in Wisconsin. So I was super nomadic. I was bouncing all over the place. Um, I'd been doing that for almost a handful of years post-college and loving it. I mean, just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, living too. <laughs> but I think I saw pretty early on that that wasn't, um, wasn't the long-term path I had in mind. I didn't see it as a super sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. And, um, I'd made the decision that I wanted to move West full time and I knew I could string the guide seasons together and, and make it work in between, but figured, Hey, I might as well look into some brands. I, or companies I respected at the same time, I had this whole thing in my head where I was unwilling to work for a corporation. I, <laughs> I, I can't work this job. Like, I'm just not going to do that to myself. It was it was like a non-negotiable so i thought anyway i called first light um because i i saw the image they put out and i'd used the gear i believed in the gear i knew they were a voice for sportsmen for conservation uh, i just really dug their whole presentation of of what they were about and the more i read up on the company it sounded like I could potentially be a good fit if I could ever get a foot in the door. Right. And I also knew where it was located and being a guy, <laughs> that was a big part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's a mountain town, right? Right in the heart of the Rockies here in Idaho. I love to do a lot of different things. I love to hunt upland birds and waterfall with, with my lab. I love to hunt big game. I love to ski and bike. And this place has it all. And, and fish can forget about all the different activities sometimes anyway it basically just checked all the boxes for me the biggest question mark was is it corporate atmosphere is it right like what's it really like um getting a foot in the door and it's it's been a challenge at times since starting work here having to spend time at the desk but it also affords some incredible opportunities that i've been been very thankful and fortunate to have yeah. So, I mean, it seems to me that anyone who has, or anyone who loves the outdoors, who loves to hunt, loves to fish, whatever the case is, right? The, the kind of the, the dream scenario or the dream job would be to work for one of these gear companies, to work for an outdoor company. So kind of take me under the hood a little bit. I mean, what is, what is the culture like? I mean, you touched on it, you know, a little bit before, but what is, you know, what is it like at, at First Light offices there? Well, it's super laid back most of the time. We know that we're not making pacemakers. You know, we're still on beer. <laughs> we try to keep it real. Um, we're serious about our jobs. You know, we we have a job to do, and we're all part of our respective teams, and we want to pull our weight and we want to keep the ship moving in the right direction. But day to day, I mean, obviously the COVID world's a little little different. Yeah. But um, when things are fairly normal, there's in many cases, more dogs and humans in the office, <laughs> which is just a joy most of the time. Yeah. Um, 
most mornings start with drinking coffee and especially during hunting season it's just recapping what in the world happened the night before because the the work hard hunt hard lifestyle is is a very real thing for us i mean the vast majority of people in the company i mean it starts this weekend with our archery antelope season we hunt darn some of us hunt darn near every day yeah through archery antelope into archery elk right into mule deer and into the bird season we're really lucky to be able to hunt after work out our door so it's a lot of bs in <laughs> and in between it trying to get the job done <laughs> put a good foot forward yeah i'd imagine that um especially like as you start to really get into the meat of of the seasons whether it's archery elk or mule deer that um people who want to take you know any type of extended vacation you know if they want to go spend four or five days in the mountains that it gets a little bit tricky it's i gotta imagine it's almost like a first come first serve because like you said there's still work that uh that needs to be done you know yes. even even though you guys all want to get out there and, and chase around some game yeah that's a balance we always are are striving to keep in check we're really fortunate in that like i said we've got it got a great team of folks just good people that are willing to cover for you if you've got something really important to you or special that you want to partake in um, usually if you want to make something happen you can make it happen yeah at the same time that all depends on doing a good job make sure your work's done you know we take a lot of personal ownership of what we do we're trusted to do our jobs and as long as things are done well get after it yeah now this may seem kind of like a a silly or an obvious question but why is conservation so important to first light i think it probably probably most importantly we recognize that our business depends on it maybe not most importantly but it's it's certainly a huge part of it um we were founded by backcountry archery elk hunters that on public land and that's still our core customer people that spend their their important time on public land hunting fishing and recreating right right we don't have public land if we don't have access if we don't have um just you know good solid rights for sportsmen we don't have a business (laughs) right we recognize that and we understand that it's important for for our well-being to ensure um, people have the opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate. So that's huge. Um, I also just think it's the right thing to do. And that yeah. it's, that's, it's just a key or a core part of, quite frankly, being an American. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very well said because, like we talked about earlier, I mean, so many people just take it for granted, right? The, the public lands, I mean, in, you know, even, you know, more so than the public lands, just the opportunities to, to chase these wild game, like it's always going to be there because it's always been there before us. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, kind of the, kind of the, the trials and tribulations with, with some of the big game, whether it's, you know, turkey or elk or the white-tailed deer, uh, you know, the buffalo is, is a great example of, of conservation and bringing a, a species kind of, you know, back to a, a manageable state. So yeah, to see a company like First Light, that puts such an emphasis on conservation and giving back in the outdoors is, is to me, it's really refreshing. Uh, it's, it's very easy to support a company like that. And, and that's why, you know, 
I'll I'll never switch from from using you know first light gear. Yeah, and that's a huge point right there. I mean, your personal story, Marcus. I mean, yeah, people see that they see the work we're doing and it jives with them and they appreciate it. And that's a big part of our success as a company. And it's done in a good name. It, it's good for everybody. It, it just seems like the right way to do business to us. Yeah. It's, it's the American thing to do, right? I think that's what, that's yeah, what you said. We're so fortunate in this country, especially to have what we have in, in the public land system and what comes with it, right? Like the right to hunt and fish and recreate. Um, it's not just public lands that make that possible, but in the West, it's certainly <laughs> the biggest factor. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's it's kind of funny. So when I was first introduced to First Light, like I just I liked the idea of the merino. Um, I loved the the fusion pattern that you guys had, and I was like, oh man, this is this is perfect, especially for here in the Midwest. And then, as any hunter does, as they start to take a deep dive into gear and really start looking at well, I've never used this, but I could definitely use it, you know? Um, that's when I started to learn about what, you know, first light was doing in the name of conservation and what they were doing. I mean, I think even from my first purchase where, you know, you could round up to conservation based on, you know, whatever your order was, or you could just pick, um, you know, one of maybe a handful or, you know, five or 10 different organizations that, first light works with that you could just make a donation to on top of your purchase. And, and something like that is, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We try to make it easy for people to become part of the process. Um, you know, the roundup program being one of them that on any order, we're going to give you the, the opportunity or option to donate to a group that we believe is doing good work in the field. Just yeah. a direct yeah. line to fund the con to, on people who are doing good work in conservation in a lot of different areas. Now, now, with the employees at First Light there, I know you guys spend a lot of time giving back, whether it's time or money or both. Um, with the employees that you have there, would you say it, it's almost like you don't really, they don't have to be asked to, to spend their time, you know, doing, you know, fence poles or, you know, cleaning up trailheads or, you know, these big land stewardship, you know, projects that you guys maybe are, you know, working with, uh, are working on with, with other organizations. I mean, is that something that, you know, is just kind of instilled into employees when, when they come on board or is it something that kind of has to be taught to them? I think it's just comes with the territory. It's weaved into that culture. Um, regularly conversations we're having revolve around kind of the latest news in the conservation world. You know, for example, when the great American outdoors act was going through, we're just, we're just talking about it and BSing about it. Like, what's it mean? What's it do? Like, what is this? That's one example. Um, certain guys and gals are passionate about, passionate about certain things and everybody has their kind of respective interest within the outdoors right yep so when it comes to how people get involved in conservation with first light it, it's hard to say like we're involved in corporate giving uh, we do a lot of advocacy and ed- education like we have two guys who have become hunter education instructors um, we do offer opportunities through the company where we'll formally you know create a plan with like idfg idaho fishing game we'll go to a seed collection or a sagebrush planting and we'll let the whole company know so everybody can participate if they want. That's just a quick overview of different ways, but there's just kind of always something going on that's conservation oriented. It, it's just weaved into 
who we are and what we do. Yeah. So that kind of takes me to my next question there was, what are some stuff or some, whether it's organizations or projects that First Light uh, as a company is working on or is kind of continually working on? Yep. So, I mean, the Roundup program is a good one to talk about. Um, For anybody who doesn't know what it is, anytime you go to firstlight.com and place an order, you can choose to donate um, a dollar or more, you know, whatever you you feel like giving to uh, select number of organizations that we have personal that we have personal relationships with. Um, it's groups that we believe are doing particularly good work in the field. Uh, it's just a quick, easy way um, for us to partake in essentially corporate giving. Yeah, yeah. Um, we participate in corporate dona- donations, corporate giving, and a lot of other ways too. Um, say BHA is having a pint night, um, we can donate a gift card or a piece of gear to raffle off things like as small as that to being like say a premium sponsor of BHA. Yeah, we're, we put a lot of dollars into the program that way. That's one thing. Um, the other is advocacy and education. Um, a lot of our messaging, our outward customer-facing messaging, is about informing people of what's going on in the world of conservation, what's important, what should people know. If we hear something interesting and we think it's good for our audience to hear it, we'll we'll put it out there. It's a priority of ours to to spread the word. Yeah. Now, do you think that that kind of started? I know. When you said uh, like Ryan Callahan, for example, there was was the first actual employee other than the two founders there. I mean, and you said he kind of laid the groundwork. I mean, what was it like? I know he's you know with Meat Eater now, and now obviously First Light is a, is a part of Meat Eater and everything yeah. like that. But what was you know what was kind of his message, or how did he kind of you know set the tone for you know future employees and and really kind of help shape the culture that's there now? You know, it was already pretty far along by the time I got my foot in the door, but very early on it was clear to me that was it was about more than just talking the talk. It was about walking the walk as well. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't just about talking about what's happening. It, it was also about actively engaging in the system, get out and vote when it's relevant. If there is a chance to volunteer in a project, go get your hands dirty. Don't just sit there and talk, right? Like mm-hmm. Actually do something. Um, that's That's been the culture all along. I maybe didn't speak to that in answering the question before, but we absolutely do a lot where we're, we're actively on our feet working, too. It's not just, just giving money and talking about it. Mm-hmm. The other part, and arguably the most important, is actively being a part of the process. So doing things like... Um, seed collection and plantings with IDFG, and that's one example. Um, we've got a slew of projects that are kind of taking shape as we're growing here that we can be more involved in as well. Um, even things as simple as like going to a local fish and game meeting. I think a bunch of us went down the two winters ago now when they were revising the elk management plan for Idaho. Just going and hearing it, hearing out fishing game, and being a part of that conversation, being a part of the process. Yeah, because I'd imagine that as as sportsmen and sportswomen that are partaking in a lot of these, you know, activities that, you know, if you don't speak up when you have the opportunity, you don't really have a leg to stand on if you want to see change. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, it's, 
the the same kind of outlook and process that we take when it comes to to voting for you know elected officials in any capacity, right? You, your voice needs to be heard. If not, you don't really have. You can't complain or, or whine about it if if you don't do anything. If you don't do your your part, your civil duty to try to you know make a change and and let your voice be heard. Yeah, and I think it's easy these days for people to to quite frankly be lazy and just not take the time to be active. I mean, especially when it comes to to advocating for something. Um, like when this whole Great American Outdoors Act was going through it probably easy for a lot of people to not pick up a phone and make a phone call and contact your, your congressman or your senator. It, it takes like three minutes to do. It's yeah. a small thing, but it's an easy way to actively be involved in a smaller side of government. Well, yeah. And, and that's just it is it's like, it's two to three minutes of your time. I mean, you spend more time than that scrolling through Instagram or Facebook every day, right? I mean, to, to pick up your phone and, and, you know, make a difference and let your voice be heard is as, as outdoorsmen and outdoors women, like that's the least that we can do. Right. Yeah. And I think it's becoming the cool thing to do now. Thankfully, uh, I think it's moving in a, in a really good direction. We certainly need it. We need more hunters. We need more people advocating for hunting, fishing in the outdoors with where we currently stand. Yeah, you you made a you said something that's that's kind of hitting the nail on the head there where it's kind of become the cool thing to do, right? And that's and that's all the better because, you know, if more people, you know, get involved, if people don't want to, you know, kind of have that feel, you know, that feeling of of missing out, you know, they don't have the the FOMO from missing a pint night or not being able to tell their buddies um that they called their senator, they called their congressman. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing what that 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 need for inclusion kind of kind of does to us, especially in the hunting community. That's that's so small. I mean, no one wants to be the guy or the girl who's like, you know, oh no, I didn't I didn't make a call. Like I I figured it was going to pass this this vote or or something like that. So it's it's really cool to see how active people have really become over the last, you know, I for maybe just since I've been paying closer attention, you know, the last three to five years. Oh yeah, no, it's it is a movement. <laughs> It's a great, great time to be a part of it, a fun time to be a part of it. And yeah, if, if you don't see it, just start paying attention more. <laughs> some great things are happening. Yeah. And I've talked about this with some of my other guests, and I think it's almost like a, a changing of the guard in terms of people who are spending a majority of their time outdoors, right? You're getting a lot of the you know millennials, the Gen Xers that are kind of really at the forefront of a lot of things in the outdoors and for better or for worse. I mean, everyone wants to have their voice heard and they want to be part of change, you know, whatever that change may be. And, you know, fortunately for, for us as, as outdoorsmen and outdoors women, I mean, those voices are, are making a huge impact. I mean, like you said, the great American outdoors act and just the, the, the way that I think organizations like BHA, RMBF, you know, I mean, there's, hundreds of, of great conservation organizations out there that during this time when everyone's stuck at home, you know, you're not able to have like meetings and, and pint nights to, um, you know, kind of rally around things that we were able to, you know, get this through the house or through the Senate, through the house, and then get a signature by the president, uh, you know, all while it, 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 things are very uncertain right now. So, I mean, I think it just speaks volumes to, 
you know, the dedication that this new generation of hunters and anglers have. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's just really, really great to see. It's great to be a part of it too. Um, but I was actually talking with a buddy earlier today about it. <clears throat> My old man turned 64 yesterday. Um, you know, he's worked hard his whole life. He loves to hunt and fish as we talked about earlier. He's got a mule deer tag here in in Idaho. It's supposed to come out. It's kind of going to be like me taking dad on a hunt. Yeah. Around, you know. And he's all tied up with the product he's got going. He's like, ah, if it doesn't go through, I, I don't know if I'll be able to make it happen. And my buddy, Kevin, his dad's kind of the same way. They've always prioritized work and hunting and fishing was more of a leisure activity. Not that it still isn't for most of us, but we were talking about how fortunate we feel that that generation really laid a framework for us to spend as much time in the field and be as engaged in what's going on surrounding hunting and fishing and public lands movement. Um, like without, without them kind of putting in the work and laying that, that frame for us, if you will, I feel we wouldn't be where we're at. I think there's a ton of, folks in that older generation that just kind of went to work because they had to Mm -hmm. and they were all tied up in life and what was going on with the times and nowadays we're so fortunate quite frankly well in my opinion it's one of the best times to be alive things are um we can live a pretty comfortable life if we so choose we're really fortunate for the freedom we have and at the same time people still want to be involved in something they want to help they want to make a difference and right now they have the opportunity to do that and help leave the hunting community and, and the fishing community and the outdoor community a better place by getting involved in what's going on. And that's the public lands movement and access law. It's widespread. I don't, know how yeah. to, I don't know how to put a finger on exactly what it is. The public lands movement is probably the most widespread thing I hear, but it's kind of that overall theme. Yeah, and I think a lot of that probably stems from, you know, a lot of the uh, Western style hunting. I mean, has at least in in the circles that I kind of see, like it has a little bit of a bigger voice. And maybe it's just because it's kind of spread out through such a big area in the West there, where, you know, in the Midwest, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of primarily from a big game standpoint, you know, whitetail. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's certainly issues surrounding whitetail. I mean, we talked about it again before we started recording with CWD or maybe you touched on it when we first started here. But I mean, that's, you know, that's a big thing for us to to try to combat here in the Midwest. And I know that, you know, uh, QDMA and the National Deer Alliance with their recent merger, I mean, they're going to put a big emphasis on, you know, research and how they can, you know, try and mitigate that or, or lessen the impact uh, as much as possible going forward. And, you know, it, it's funny, you, you talked about, you know, the kind of the groundwork that, that our parents and, and grandparents laid for us to, to have these opportunities. And one of the things that I've talked about with a lot of guests um, prior to, to speaking with you today is the turning point when they have kids themselves and they want, they kind of think back to all the stuff that they did when they were a kid growing up with their dad and uncles and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it's like, man, I want to be able to pass all of this great stuff onto my kids. So that forces them or that causes them to, to take a, a big step towards, 
you know, getting involved. And I mean, if that's what it, I mean, whatever it takes really, in my opinion, to, to become more involved, to become more active and you don't have to be some superstar conservationist, right? You just, just do your part, you know? Yeah. Just do what you can. And that's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be super. Yeah. Like, like you're saying the sexiest thing in conservation, <laughs> just, you know, it doesn't have to be high profile or glossy, whatever it is. I mean, even as we alluded to, just taking time to pick up the phone, if you're trying to get a law through a law passed, you know, a piece of legislation, just, just making the time for it, I think, and facilitating the conversation around it when you can, that's a start. Yeah. And, and we all, and you know, in conservation, isn't this journey, where there's like a an end an end goal right i mean it's it's constantly evolving and one of the people that i had spoke to early on in the podcast said that he's hoping that we can get to a point where we're being proactive instead of reactive and i thought that that was that was a very good way to look at it because whether it's you know a lot of public land trying to be sold off or being sold off or like the pebble mine for example up in alaska um that's a really hot button issue right now that we're trying to get you know that you know, uh, outdoorsmen and outdoors women are trying to get shut down and mitigate any, you know, damage done to, to Bristol Bay up there. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing what, you know, us as a collection of, of individuals can do when we all kind of put our mind to, it and we all have the same common goal, but, you know, again, being proactive instead of reactive and getting out ahead of these things. So we're not trying to fight this uphill battle all the time. Yeah. And that. You know, in presenting that idea, to me, it seems like a more of a cultural, cultural challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do we, how do we teach the next generation? How do we teach young people how to be proactive, or, or why it's worth being proactive, right? Um, hopefully, we're in a place where we don't have to be so reactive. Yeah, and, then and we that was have a framework for those people to to put the right foot forward. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping like out of this podcast. And, you know, I, I speak with a lot of 2% committee members, 2%, you know, certified businesses like First Light, like yourself. And, and really kind of at the end of the day, like if, if people love nothing more than just to hear, you know, cool stories of individuals or, you know, cool companies and what they're doing to, to give back to conservation. Like my hope is that it, it motivates people. It want, it, it allows them to, you know, maybe step out of their comfort zone to get involved or maybe see that, you know, there's a lot of just regular people out there that have a regular job, but they spend, you know, two or three weekends a month or one weekend a month, you know, doing a trail cleanup, um, whatever the case may be, that it's not that hard. It makes a big difference. And it's just going to solidify that, you know, these streams and these wild places that are out there are still going to be there for, you know, generations to come and, you know, if not be the same, you know, be better than, than what they are at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth, it's worth putting in the work. It's worth fighting for. I mean, if you don't understand that it is, it's, that's too bad, but anybody that does, anybody that enjoys hunting and fishing in the outdoors, I think for the most part gets it. And it's more about just kind of fun, giving them, I think giving people that maybe don't know how to get involved, the tools to get involved and, and helping them understand the different avenues they can, they can use to make a difference. Yeah. Because there's, you know, 
with conservation, there's so many different ways that you can get involved, right? It doesn't have to be every single thing that's going on. You don't have to join every single organization that's out there, you know, find out, you know, figure out what's important to you as a, as an outdoorsman or an outdoors woman and just, and just get involved, you know, make a phone call, you know, go to a meeting, you know, whatever it is, you know, buy a membership, you know, that, that goes a long ways, even if you're not going to be actively, um, you know, participating in whatever that organization's doing. I mean, just, you know, 35 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it is. I mean, that goes a long way in making sure that, you know, these, these organizations can fund these projects and, you know, be, you know, an advocate and have a louder voice uh, in the arena of, you know, public lands and wild places. Yeah. It's something we hear all the time. And we, we have people reach out regularly wondering how to get involved or, or where they should get involved. Like, a common thing I'll hear, even on the social media side of things, like direct messages, people say, hey, I really I really like what you guys are doing. I want to get more involved in conservation. Who should I support? What groups should I support? That's a, that seems to be a common mm-hmm. ask of folks. And my usual, usual response is, where do you live? What do you like to do most of the time? Or what do you like to hunt? And they're like, oh, I'm a bird hunter. Like, well, maybe you should check out Pheasants Forever. Like, yeah. oh, I'm a wild hunter. It's like, well, maybe you check out QDMA. Like, I love elk more than anything. It's like, well, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is great. You know, just something that aligns with your interests, something you can get on board with. That's a that's a great place to start. Yeah, no, I <clears throat> I I could not agree more. And and I hope that you know, even just when people listen to this episode when it comes out, that it kind of sparks a little something in them that makes them want to you know, get involved and, you know, take an active role in, in making sure things are, are in a better position. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now with first light, I don't know how much you can talk about here, but I got to ask a couple gear questions here just because for the people that are listening, they're going to be like, man, all they did was talk about conservation the whole time. Like, why didn't he ask any questions about gear? So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I don't know how much you can kind of divulge because obviously you guys have your process and you don't want to give anything away, but is there some cool stuff that kind of in the pike or, you know, that are coming down from first light that, you know, that guys can look, you know, like myself can look forward to. Oh yeah. Always every year there's something coming down the pipe. Uh, I can't, I can't talk about next year's stuff um, too in depth. Um, I mean, what we have this year, we just, came out with those new zip off lawn johns and food tops, which it's not a new thing. Like Cree's been making them for quite some time. And before that they were, they were an item in the outdoor industry. Um, but we just tried to do them better than they've ever been done. They're pretty sweet. They're super comfortable. Uh, they don't have any hot spots. If you're wearing, wearing a pack, they're built with the best wool on the market. Um, that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people this year um, aside from that i think it's worth mentioning just so people are aware when we bring something to market it's it's addressing a specific need um so that the new line every year is intended to to uh solve a problem um and and fit into or fit into a collection that we're trying to build out so for instance this year we did the brooks down vest just an extra ultralight, packable layer, minimalist piece that guys can use 
under their jacket in a tree stand or <laughs> it's okay. Um, my buddy's girlfriend stopping by. Oh, you're all right. <laughs> I was going to grab the dog. Um, but yeah, it, what I'm getting at is each year a piece comes out. If people are wondering, oh, what's this for? It's like, there's a reason. Yeah. If you want to call and ask us, we'll tell you. Um, or if you think about it a little more critically, you'll, you'll probably discover why we built it. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I like about First Light is how accessible customer service is, and and how willing they are to you know answer questions. Um, I mean, I see like on the different forums, and you know, even on social media posts and stuff like that, where you know, like, oh, if you got a question, just call the shop, right? And that's that's one of the things that, especially for me, you know, here in the Midwest, and since um, First Light has gone direct to consumer is that, you know, I don't have the ability to try stuff on in, in gear shops or, or, you know, bow shops or anything like that anymore. I mean, thankfully, I've kind of come to a point where, you know, I know what my sizing is and I know what to expect out of materials and things like that. But, you know, for, for guys that haven't had that luxury, you know, you guys are super accessible and, and I wish that more companies were like that out there because it's, it, it, it really helps out guys who, who don't have that, the luxury of, of being able to, you know, touch and feel something that they may already have. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. And that's, you know, being direct to consumer, that is a challenge. You can't touch and feel it. You can't try it on. We, we get that. Uh, we try to mitigate it the best we can. But the cool thing, and you mentioned it is you, you can call us Yeah, and anybody you talk to, um, on the other end of that phone knows the gear inside and out they're conversational folks if you're just open and honest about what you're trying to do and, and looking for we're gonna give you a straight answer and do our best to understand what's gonna work best for you yeah it's a fun model to be a part of and one of the things i really like too is that you you know the first light employees like they're they're users, right? I mean, they're, they're out in the, in the back country, you're, you know, in the whitetail woods, whatever the case is. I mean, they're, they're using the products too. So they have, you know, not, they're not just like reading off a script and saying, Oh, you know, you hunt whitetail, like, Oh, you should try this jacket. And you know, why? Well, because that's, you know, that's what my script says. No, I mean, because, because I used it for, you know, 25 days, you know, in the field last year. And I can tell you exactly why we came out with this piece and, you know, the features and, and everything like that. So, to, to stand behind a product and to be able to explain to your, to your customers is, is awesome. Yeah. It goes a long ways. I think too. Um, it's not like talking to a guy at a big box store that might have some familiarity with yeah. brand, let alone a specific piece of gear, you know, and you call us, we want to ensure that your, the end user's experience is the best it can be. That's, if, if, it, if we're not ensuring that, we're not doing a good job, right? It's, not, it's in our best interest as a company to make sure the gear performs for you and that we get you in the right piece. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I won't try and uh, get any more information out of you about gear, but I definitely look forward to uh, to seeing what First Light has come out. You know, in the future, I'm always always looking to spend some money if, yeah. if I can. <laughs> it's only getting better and better, right, guys? feel very confident saying that always improving always addressing problems uh next year will be a, a good year but i cannot no <laughs> that's all right that's all right I'll, I'll wait just like everyone else so that's okay yeah <laughs> well paul i really appreciate you taking some time today man um 
I love what First Light's doing. And, you know, for those out there listening, if you haven't tried First Light or if you haven't looked into them, definitely be sure to because it's, it's you know, it, it's super high quality gear and it's a company that, you know, is giving back to conservation and, you know, conservation at its core is, is part of, of their company ethos. So it's, it's definitely someone that you guys should be supporting. Yeah. And if people want to check it out, it's easy. The, the website's pretty fun, pretty interactive. It, you know, you can learn about what we're doing. Um, obviously our social, social media channels, we're super active on there. If you need something, you can reach out to us on any of the platforms. We're super responsive. Yeah. And if, for those listeners, if you have an issue with one of the posts, Paul's the guy to blame. I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm going to hear it. <laughs> well, thanks again, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, you know, Best of luck as uh, your seasons open up there in the next uh, couple days, and hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Yeah, same to you, Marcus. All right, take care, man. Thanks, man. Bye. All right. Well, a big thank you to Paul for taking some time to jump on the podcast today. Uh, I'd like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out, stoneglacier.com. I'd also like to thank our partners over at 2% for Conservation. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation, uh, including Stone Glacier, including First Light, uh, that you should support when you shop for your gear. Um, I encourage you to follow 2% on social media where you're going to see nothing but very um, positive conservation-driven content uh, on their various feeds. Uh, again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on their social media or on their website, fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, stay safe out there, and remember that conservation starts with you.